from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Please turn in your pew Bibles to page 650 in the Old Testament, which is Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 4 and 8 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exalt in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament lesson this morning comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And before I read it, I want to put it into context a little bit. So in Luke's narration of the story of Jesus' birth, this scene comes just a little after Mary has been visited by the angel Gabriel, who has brought her the news that she will be the mother of the Son of God. Then Mary, who's pregnant, goes to see her cousin Elizabeth and Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah. Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist, and Luke tells us that when Mary greets her cousin Elizabeth, John the Baptist leaps in Elizabeth's womb. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and she speaks this prophetic word, saying that Mary is the mother of her Lord and that Mary is blessed. Mary responds with our text this morning. It's a, a song, a poem that breaks up Luke's storytelling. Her song is called the Magnificat, Latin for magnify. Hear now God's word. Boyd read the first few verses of it so well just a minute ago. And Mary said, 
My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let us pray. O oh God, let this old story be news to us this morning. Let it startle us. Let it give us courage and confidence to prepare the way for you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I had a conversation with one of our neighbors last week. It was early in the morning when it was still dark and we were waiting with our kids for the school bus. And I just started like you do with your neighbors. I said, good morning, how are you? And she was clearly very down. She made a comment about the news that morning and how it's so discouraging that it just makes you want to stop reading it or looking at it. She said something like, it's just all so negative. And then she said something that has stuck with me since. She said, I'm not surprised by anything anymore. I'm sorry to say, I don't even remember what the news of the day was. That part didn't stay with me. But what did sink in was that our world is weary and that hard things come at us so fast and so often that sometimes we're not even surprised anymore. Maybe some of you have had similar conversations or thought the same thing yourselves. The news, the world around us, things happening in our own lives sometimes feel like a never-ending stream of bad news. And we have to make room for it somewhere in our minds and in our hearts. There's another shooting. There's another natural disaster. Another person is victimized by someone with more power. There's another allegation of corruption, another lie. Another friend gets a life-threatening diagnosis and we feel helpless. Another family member's at a crossroads and doesn't know where to go and we don't have any advice to offer. The collective impact can make us numb. So my neighbor's comment has stuck with me these weeks of Advent because it's reminded me just how much we need to hear our ancient story, how much we long to be surprised by good news, this shocking good news that God came to earth as Jesus Christ to set the world right and that he's coming again, according to his promise. Last Sunday, as Sarah Kate said, we started retelling our old story with our Christmas pageant. We had about a thousand children, I'm pretty sure. That was the final count. <clears throat> Someone can watch the tape and count. 
There were about 150 children, in all honesty, as shepherds and angels and wise people. And there was one rickety inn that I thought might fall down. And Reese Madden, I saw her a minute ago, came out and boldly said, there's no room here. Good job, Reese. There were stuffed chickens and goats and Howard the camel, who's in the lobby. Please go have your picture taken with him. Hashtag Howard. Put it online. And because of the snow, there was a beautiful rescheduled baptism right here with all those children all in that story reminding us what it's like to be called into this big old family of faith. The scene was nothing short of idyllic. We love that moment in our old story, the story of our Lord's birth, when it seems like time is suspended. Just for a little bit, everybody is safe and well. Remember it with me. Mary and Joseph have made it inside, not in an ideal setting, but out of the elements at least. King Herod and his evil plot to kill Jesus have been stymied for the moment. The star gleams in the sky or just above the choir loft in our case. It's so bright that it surprises people. It confuses them and makes them afraid, but also in a way that makes even lowly shepherds believe that the prophecy of a Messiah could come true and that even they could follow a star to their Lord. Jesus has been born and no human pain has come to him yet. It's that beautiful moment, untarnished, that gets suspended in time, in our nativity scenes, and in all our images and art of Jesus swaddled and sleeping, and his parents and some very docile livestock stare down lovingly at him. We even have it in stained glass, just right there. Everything seems good and possible. That's the moment we want to breathe in. Go ahead, breathe it in. It's tender and gentle and comforting because we know it so well. And yet the moment of birth for our Lord Jesus Christ was one of the greatest surprises this world has ever known. Our son James reminded me of that the other day. He gave me permission to tell this. We were in the car and we passed a church that had one of those marquees where you pop in the letters and change it each week. Do you know what I'm talking about? This one said, Christmas is prophetic. Prophetic, P-R-O-P-H-E-T-I-C. I read it out loud and I started to muse about prophecy and Christmas and how some of the gospels start with Old Testament prophecy to tell us this new news. And I was having a pretty nerdy conversation with myself and James interrupted me and he said, Mom, what it means is that people were expecting Obi-Wan Kenobi. not a little baby. Our family is very into Star Wars, maybe some of you are too, but if you aren't, Obi-Wan Kenobi is a master Jedi in the Star Wars series. He is wise and fierce with a lightsaber and he faces down the dark side with his mind and his sword. There's even a scene in the old movie, A New Hope, where Princess Leia is recording a message she's desperate to get to Obi-Wan. The forces of the dark side are taking over and she says, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. 
So what James meant was that the world was expecting a savior like Obi-Wan, a warrior, a leader. They were expecting an adult, first of all, and a king, somebody with some power and some might. People were looking for a throne, not a manger. So that swaddled baby, that little human baby, surprised the world just being born, and not just because he was a baby, but because he was born in a podunk town to a girl, just a girl named Mary, lowly, the Bible says, not wealthy, not somebody important, vulnerable, as Sarah Kate reminded us, because she was unwed and pregnant. That story, the one we retell, the one we think we know so well, should still surprise us. It should jolt us from our weariness because it brings us good news in such an unexpected way. It should stir us because Mary, that totally unremarkable girl, was called by God to help carry the story of a people, quite literally, to be the vessel for good news to the world. And when Mary got that life-disrupting, dangerous news, surprisingly enough, she believed it. When the angel came to her, she said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. When we see Mary in images like our stained glass and paintings for centuries, she's always dressed in delicate blue. She's gentle and quiet and serene and in humble repose. But the Magnificat, Mary's song, reminds us of a very different picture. Mary's song reminds us that God has been at work all along, that God is here now, and that God is coming to surprise the world and turn it upside down. Mary sings that praise from her soul because God's promises are being fulfilled. So she's not singing just about a tender, mild baby. She's singing of the mighty one who's shown strength and scattered the proud and brought down the powerful and lifted up the lowly, the one who's helped Israel according to his promise. She sings not about a weary world that'll just go on as usual, but of God reversing all accepted and expected order. The reversal has already started with Mary herself, a lowly and most unlikely mother of the Lord. Each part of the story is another reversal, a baby, a manger, attended by livestock, not a royal court. Mary sings about what God will continue to do in a hurting world, to feed the hungry and lift up the lowly and send the rich away. This is no serene and mild song. It points to a world that's about to be changed forever. As N.T. Wright describes Mary's song, it's the gospel before the gospel, a fierce, bright shout of triumph, 30 weeks before Bethlehem, 30 years before Calvary and Easter. It goes with a swing and a clap and a stamp. It's all about God and it's all about a revolution, and it's all because of Jesus. Jesus, who's only just been conceived, not yet born, but who has made Mary giddy with excitement and hope and triumph. So Mary is singing her heart out because she's singing about a revolution that's thousands of years in the making and still coming today. Like us, 
Mary and her cousins, and even those shepherds out in the field, lived in a world that knew violence and brutality. They lived under Herod the Great, who was known for using the military of the Roman Empire to hold power, who taxed people mercilessly for his own gain and his own building projects. They knew poverty and illness and abuse of power. People suffered and things were wrong. They didn't get their news minute by minute like we do today, but the news was still bad even then. Like us, Mary and her cousins longed for the fulfillment of God's promise to set the world right, to break earthly powers, and lift up those who were lowly in the world's eyes. They needed that good news just as much as we do. So when the angel Gabriel came, Mary believed, and she sang. If you look at this song, the Magnificat in the Greek, it's in a tense called aorist. Now that's not that important. You can let that go out of your mind. What is important about that is that when it's translated into English, it sounds as if the things being described are already accomplished, like they're in the past over and done. Did you hear it? The mighty one has shown strength, has scattered, has brought down, has lifted up, has sent the rich away. But what Mary is singing is not something completed. It's something ongoing. The tense translates best into past perfect in English, but even that's not perfect. The tense conveys the eternal nature of God's work. So Mary's singing about what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do in the future. What God has already done, upheld God's covenant, delivered God's people from exile, fulfilled God's promise. What God is doing now, doing exactly what Isaiah and others described, coming into the world to bring good news to the oppressed. What God will do, bring righteousness to all and restore this weary world to God. Mary sings because she's confident that this action is timeless past, present, and future. Friends, we are Mary, or Elizabeth, or Zechariah, or lowly shepherds confused as we look up at the night sky. We long to be surprised, not by more bad news, but by a call from God to share in this eternal work. We long to be vessels of good news in a hurting world. Here on this third Sunday of Advent, we hold to the promise just as much as anyone did all that time ago, and we dare to sing the Magnificat with Mary. Mary sings our hope and her own. She sings for the hungry and the hungry of heart. She sings for the disconnected and the forgotten. She sings for people who hold to God's promise when they're in pain when they're suffering, when they're afraid. She sings for everybody who knows the Christmas story by heart, but needs to hear it again anyway. She sings for those who think they can no longer be surprised and who would like desperately to be surprised. She sings for the weary and the numb. She sings for little shepherds and wise people, for all of us who long for a world where everybody has enough and lives in peace and is whole. She sings for that blessed future to come. She sings for me. She sings for you. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Friends, go now from this place in song, rejoicing because Jesus is coming. And as we go, may we all have the courage to share that good news in a hurting and weary world, confident that the grace, peace, and love of our Lord Jesus Christ go with us now and forevermore. Amen. Sing.